Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us so that we have words to live by. We pray for understanding as we read this passage by Noah and look at it, uh, or about Noah and look at it a little deeper. We know that all scripture is understandable. Even for the carnal mind, they can read it and understand what it's being said. But in order to understand the spiritual import, we need that operation of the Holy Spirit working in us. So we pray that this word drives deep into our hearts, that we understand the spiritual importance of it, that we uh, live by your word. And we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit by which we do live uh, according to your word. We pray these things in the name of your glorious Son. Amen. All right. No surprise, we're in Genesis. We are very quickly coming to the end of our Genesis 1 through 11 section. This week we are halfway through chapter 9. We've got just two chapters left, just a few more weeks. But we are asking the question, has God forgotten us? This section of scripture after the flood and before the dispersion at Babel answers that question for us that God by no means has nor will he forget us. He has a plan and though we are 2,000 years into a period of grace, he has not forgotten us. His timing is not long as we count length. It is a short time for him. And so we are going to look at one of the covenants that is still in operation today. One by which God operates the functions and features of this world, and that is the Noahic covenant. So we will look at this covenant. It is a gracious covenant by God. It is a one-sided covenant in the sense that there is nothing we can do to break this covenant and have it become null. This is a promise from God, and that promise will be kept. We will look at the mockery that man makes of this covenant. This is under heading two, grotesque contumacy, and I promise I will give you a definition of contumacy once we get there. And then our third point, we will look at God's glory in the rainbow. Our main point as we get started then, so you can have this on your mind as we look at these passages that God has prepared for a long period of overlooking sin. This answers a huge apologetic question that we get. Why is there pain and suffering in the world? If God were God, he would put an end to it. And the answer to that is he will. But it's for your benefit that he has not. Because each person that accepts Jesus as their savior understands who he is and what he has done and receives salvation, has entered onto the ark and a moment before that would not have been saved. This grace period, why God overlooks sin, is for the benefit of each one who has ever been born. And so God is extending grace to the world as long as it remains. But grace will end and judgment will ensue. So we start with this grace covenant. God gives it parameters. A certain people or a certain object of this covenant, those who receive it, 
And we see that it is a very wide covenant. This is a universal covenant. This is not given to a single people group. In fact, this is not given only to people. It is given to animals and it is given to the entire creation. God has bound himself to the stipulations of this covenant. But it starts with God addressing Noah and his sons, the federal heads of humanity, the heads of creation. Man stands as the head, as the king over creation. And God is addressing this specifically to the fathers over the families that are about to populate the earth. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. Now this I myself do establish, this is an emphatic pronoun. I myself, this is not something that God is asking man to participate in, in uh, establishing this covenant. We will see participatory covenants elsewhere. This one is a one-sided covenant. God makes it with man. He binds himself to this covenant and he will keep it. I myself do establish this covenant. This is in fulfillment of the promise a few chapters earlier before the flood. In Genesis 6, verse 18, God promised Noah that he had a covenant ready for him, that he had a covenant that he would enter into, and it was just awaiting the new creation, that new world that he would enter into. This is the first time we see the word covenant. That might make you wonder because, wait, hasn't Pastor already taught us that there were two covenants? There was the Edenic covenant and there was the Adamic covenant one that God made with man when he first created him and put him in the garden, and another after the fall. These covenants were, again, universal. They extended to all of humanity because humanity had just begun. But humanity was created sinless. And so God's promises were didactic. They were teaching. God's promise was so that he could show man his own faithfulness towards them and man's own bent on sin. And so this is why we have the first instance of an actual covenant formula here. Because man has learned about his own sin. He has seen the consequences of it in the flood. And he has learned about God's faithfulness. When God says something, he does it. And so now God formally contracts himself with man. He formally promises the permanence of this world, of the seasons, of the harvests. He promises that this land has been given to man and that he is going to wait to destroy it until the very end. This is the covenant that God has given to Noah. There are seven different clauses to this covenant that we can pull out. First, God did tell man to populate the earth. Man's failure to do this would not nullify the covenant. The covenant that God made was about what he would do. But there is still an expectation on man. Under this covenant, he is to populate the earth. A provision of this covenant is that the fear of man will enter into the hearts of animals. This will protect man as well as animals as they operate under the curse in the new world. 
especially since man's diet has been expanded now to include meat. Animals will have a natural fear of man, a self-preservation. But animals, being naturally stronger than man, imagine coming up against a bear or a lion, you would hope that that animal would have some element of fear towards you because, let's face it, their fear towards us is not rational. A bear or a lion could take us quite easily. God has instilled this so man could spread out and populate the earth. But there is a restriction still on this diet. Man is not to eat blood. Blood is not part of what God has ordained as food. Blood is to be drained from animals before we consume the meat. This has not been rolled back. This has not been extended to us since. This is still a regulation by which we live in fellowship with God. We do not consume that which represents life. We hold up the sanctity of life. And we recognize what it cost Jesus, his own blood, in securing our salvation. We do not treat blood with frivolity. We do not consume it. There is also the stipulation under this covenant that we deal immediately with sin. Especially that sin which does not recognize the sanctity of life and would take a life. Murderers are to be executed. This is the beginning of the divine institution of human government. That governments will need to be established to justly render these stipulations of the Noahic covenant. God's means by which he will curb the results of sin on this earth. So that we don't have a murderer like Cain running free on the earth and spreading that sin. Sin spreads like cancer. God says here, take care of the cancer at the root. But God also makes a promise. No more universal floods. This was a demonstration of God's awesome power. It was a demonstration of the heinousness of sin and what it costs to fix it. Man has that example in his history, and he does not need another example of it but he will see the end of all things, not another example. But God will actually finally take care of all sin. And it will not be in a flood, but it will be by fire. And lastly here, God has given us a sign that we can look up into the sky. And as long as we see this sign, we know that this covenant is still in effect. Now there is... There are some who believe that this rainbow existed before the flood. I believe that refraction did exist, but the fact that there was no rain, if you remember from Genesis 2.5, means that there would not have been a large bow in the sky. Sure, there would be spray from the waves, or perhaps from a waterfall where you could see a rainbow, but it would not dominate the sky like it did in the new creation. This is something new, that God would hang his bow in the clouds for all humanity to see, for all humanity to see his promise and his long-suffering towards us. Because this was made for all of the descendants of Noah. Not just those who were alive at the time, 
but every single person who had ever come from them. This is the plural Hebrew word for seed. We saw seed before used as a cumulative noun, speaking of the coming seed, the seed of the woman, the Messiah, but also the immediate single seed of the woman, the one who would bear the seed promise until the Messiah. Here, this is the plural of seeds. Moses is here cluing us in that this is broad reaching. This covers every single seed that ever comes from Noah and his wife. Next week, we will see how all of the earth was populated from Noah's three sons. Each person in this room this morning, each person who will listen to this recording, each person you will meet today comes from Noah. And each of those persons is under this Noahic covenant, is under this long-suffering promise of God not to ultimately punish sin until the very end. He is waiting, and this is his grace. Not only that, but this is extended to every living creature as well. So this would include our food, those creatures over which we were made to have dominion. Every creature that is with you to Noah, the birds, the cattle, the beasts, everything that came out of the ark. And notice this is not just for domesticated animals, but he reiterates the beasts of the earth twice in here. Every wild animal that you see, even this animal comes under this Noahic covenant. It is for our benefit and for their benefit that God is long-suffering towards sin. We don't have to undergo a global flood every thousand years because God is long-suffering. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a special sermon where we talk about the doctrine of civilizations. We're going to see how this entire civilization, from the flood to the conclusion of this world, is covered by this Noahic covenant and that God has instilled certain social structures in it for our preservation. But in this covenant, there is a glorious promise. I've already made mention of it, but with the establishment of this covenant, God has promised not to flood the earth again. This Hebrew word for establish, kum, is not the regular word for a covenant. Usually a covenant is cut, but this word is to raise up, to make stand, or to establish, to bring it to fruition. This is the answer to the promise, promise back in Genesis 6. He has now raised this covenant with Noah, this covenant that he promised, and he will bring it to pass. He has promised it, he establishes it, and he will make it come true. And so all flesh shall never again be cut off by the waters of the flood. Neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. This is one of those nice chiasms we get. Kind of like a rhyme or a ditty, but it's something that is put in a structure that is memorable. And this is a good promise to remember. Especially in this day and age when we turn on the news and we can 
barely stand to watch it for more than five or ten minutes. It's disheartening. It's heartbreaking. Just remember this, and when you see a rainbow, look up in the cloud and remember that. God is long-suffering towards sin, and yes, we do want sin to be judged. But for the sake of our neighbors, for the sake of us, before we came to know Jesus, thank goodness that he is long-suffering. Now, I just want to remind you that this word that Moses uses for flood is only used here. The mabul, it's a catastrophe. It's not just flooding. It's not like the floods that uh, we're seeing in Yellowstone this week. This is not covered by this word mabul. It is only used in scripture in reference to the Genesis flood. This was a catastrophe unlike anything else, and it will never occur again because God has promised that he will not do that again. God gives us that sign of the covenant so that we too can look up and see his handwriting in the clouds. We have his word, his wonderful word passed down to us for all successive generations. But how wonderful is it that we look at nature and we see God's handprint or his fingerprint in nature as well. This was a sign given not just to Noah and his family, but to all successive generations. Every person who will ever come under this covenant will be able to look into the sky and see the handprint of God. And so he sets his bow in the cloud. This is his bow. This is his sign. And as we will see towards the end of this morning's sermon, this is the cloud which surrounds him. It is a reflection of the very light that he dwells in. The rainbow around the throne of God itself. He has permeated this dark earth with the glory of the heavens. And he has used that as a promise that although he can judge and he will judge, he is waiting. Now this is not only between mankind and the animal kingdom, but all of earth. This is a sign of a covenant between him and all of the earth, all of creation. Everything that he created in Genesis chapter 1, everything that was affected by the flood in Genesis chapters 6 and 7 and 8, come under this covenant. He is promised that he will not flood the earth again or destroy it by means of water. This is the first of a couple different covenant signs that we see in scripture. This rainbow of the covenant symbolizes the Noahic covenant and we still see it today. Circumcision was given under the Abrahamic covenant. This is a sign of the promises that God made to the sons of Abraham. All who are under this covenant are to circumcise their children. The Sabbath was given as a sign of the Mosaic Covenant. Those who were under the Mosaic Covenant were to keep the Sabbath. And communion is given to us under the New Covenant. Now, the New Covenant doesn't belong to us, but we participate in it. It belongs to Israel. But we, each time we celebrate communion, recognize that the Savior who came from the Jews, through the Jews, and to the Jews, 
his covenant promise with them spills over to us. We saw in the life of Messiah class this last week, a Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile, who came up to Jesus while he was in Gentile territory and recognized that Jesus was the Messiah to the Jews, that he had come to fulfill a covenant with them, but that even the dogs get to eat the scraps off the table. In Genesis chapter 12, we see that the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant spill over to the Gentile nations. Those who are a blessing to Israel will be blessed, and those who are a curse to Israel will be cursed. This extends to nations beyond Israel. This new covenant, we as the church participate in it. We are grafted on to their blessings. But notice here, circumcision, Sabbath, and communion, these are all things that we do. These are all things that we do in participation with this covenant to recognize that we are under it. We don't do them if we are not under that covenant. But notice this rainbow. There is nothing you do to participate in this sign of the covenant. God has displayed this over the entire earth because even those who are not in fellowship with him come under the stipulations of this covenant. But they will also be judged by the stipulations of this covenant. It shall come about, God says to Noah, when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow will be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and every living creature of all flesh, and never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. Now do you remember In Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, when Noah had been on the ark five months, and then God remembered. This does not mean that God forgot, but that God was faithful. God remembered, and then he acted towards them. Each time this bow appears in the sky, God is actively restraining himself from bringing judgment on the earth. And what is the purpose of this? Why does he have to put his bow in the sky? Why does he have to be long-suffering towards sin? Why does he have to make this everlasting covenant? When the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Do you remember before God started speaking to Noah about this covenant? He spoke amongst the Godhead. He spoke to himself. And what was it that he said? What was his rationale for this covenant? He says, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. Man has not changed. But God has chosen to act in grace towards us. He recognizes that man left to his own devices without God's grace has no hope. And so he has chosen to sovereignly step in and break the pattern to sovereignly step in, and he will do that in the greatest way when he offers his son on the cross in grace, 
towards us because we could never do anything ourselves to get that salvation that Jesus offers. Only by grace, through faith, on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ can we be saved. But now I do want to digress just a bit and talk a bit about our culture today. Our culture, which is under the Noahic covenant, our culture whose sign of promise, the very sign that God will not at this time judge sin, the sign of the rainbow, has been absconded by this culture. And so I will define here contumacy. It is the willing contempt of ordinances, the stubborn resistance to authority. We start with today's abortion debate. The Mosaic or the uh, Noahic covenant stipulates that we protect life. Capital punishment was given as a means to protect the innocent. We have made a mockery. We have made a debate out of something that cannot be a debate. We must protect life. Nations which do not come under judgment. Nations which do not cease to exist. This will factor into the doctrine of civilizations. Nation states have been given it like a honeycomb over this earth. When one goes sour, it disappears. It ceases to exist by God's sovereignty. He takes away its leaders. Our government, which is supposed to be protecting life, has given a blank check to erase any life that is inconvenient. And they say it's just not a human. Actually, I think they've even given up on that argument today. They say despite the fact that it's a human, it's inconvenient for you. That my body, my choice slogan. How about God's creation? God's choice. And the culture today is rife with sexual perversion. No longer is it a turn a blind eye response, but positive promotion. And they've even taken God's symbol of perseverance and grace, like thumbing their nose at God, saying, we know. We know you're not punishing sin right now, and we are going to live it up to the fullest. This is a mockery. This is God's sign of grace. And homosexuality has entered into our culture as probably one of the worst pandemics that we have ever seen in our lifetimes. Yes, I know full well that we are on the tail end of a pandemic. It pales in comparison. Because that one, at least children were relatively safe. This one, children seem to be the target. I've got a couple quotes from cultural leaders. 
This is a woman named Lady Gaga. You've probably heard of her. I hope for your sake that you have not heard her. But I've got some lyrics here to read to you that are targeted towards the children in our culture. In fact, this was probably the number one song on my iPod in sophomore year of high school. In a Christian school, I was a young Christian man, and yet still, this found its way into my ears. How many other hopeless children's ears did it find its way into and enter like a cancer? She says, no matter gay, straight, or bi, lesbian, transgendered life, I'm on the right track. I was born to survive. I'm beautiful in my way because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track. I was born this way. There ain't no other way. There is no hope in her epistemology. She is a liar. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, From now on we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. There is another way. Now, often the culture is like rat poison, cultural Kool-Aid. There's a lot of truth, but it's the 1% lie that kills. Now, you know I like to shock you guys sometimes by the things I say, and you know what? She's not 100% wrong that people are born gay. We are all born sinners. We are all born inclined to murder, inclined to lie, inclined towards sexual perversions. We do not celebrate lying and murders, although I think today we have started to. Why do we celebrate and promote everything else that destroys, that grates down, and that kills our children? This young man is my age. He grew up listening to Lady Gaga. And this self-licking ice cream cone that is our culture perverts and destroys children and then raises them up to pervert and destroy more children. This man's name is Troy Sivan. And he wrote this song, Without losing a piece of me, how do I get to heaven? Without changing a part of me, how do I get to heaven? All my time is wasting, feeling like my heart's mistaken. He's lost and he's wondering, but what is his sad conclusion? If I'm losing a piece of me, maybe I don't want heaven. We're killing our children. If they survive the womb, they're not yet in safe territory. First Corinthians six, verse nine. 
Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Those who are defined by their flesh, defined by their sin natures, rather than defined by the grace of Jesus Christ in his blood. Those do not enter into the kingdom of heaven. But such were some of you. This is Paul writing to a group of believers who are not living in fellowship with the Lord. Such were some of you, even those who were corrupted by these sins, have been changed already. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. Yes, to get to heaven, he loses a part of himself. He loses his sin. This is like saying, if I have to lose my cancer cells, I won't undergo the surgery. God's going to take it out of you. God's going to clean you and wash you. He's going to make you a new creation. Maybe you don't want heaven. The only alternative is hell. If that is the choice, and if we're honest about that, and if we're honest about the new life offered in Christ, we share this with our children. They are not ignorant to the arguments. They are not ignorant to what God has to say. In fact, I remember distinctly back in 2011, the Rolling Stone headline for Lady Gaga's new album, Born This Way, was, Lady Gaga Takes You to Church. Lady Gaga, a former Catholic, knows exactly where the rubber meets the road. She says in her song, Come to Mama, dude in a lab coat and a man of God fought over prisms and a 40-day flood. It's kind of shocking to hear that in the song by someone who uh, you don't assume shares the same historical foundation that we do in Scripture. In case you uh, don't know, prisms create rainbows. Fighting over prisms and a 40-day flood. But she says, rainbows did more than they've ever done. I think she's making a distinction here between the prisms that God has put into the sky, the rainbow of, or his rainbow versus the rainbow of the pride culture. She says, the rainbow of the pride culture, our rainbow, has done more than God ever did. The reason that she is here today is because God's rainbow in the sky has been effective. God's rainbow in the sky has restrained him from judging her sin and from judging the sin of those whom she is corrupting. But her message to the children listening to her songs is, Come to Mama. 
She calls herself Mother Monster and her listeners Little Monsters. She says, tell me who hurt you. There's going to be no future if we don't figure this out. And so come tomorrow, who are you going to follow? There's going to be no future if we don't figure it out. And she is insinuating that we need to follow the culture that she's promoting. That's where our future is. Once again, she and every other cultural voice spouting the same propaganda is a liar. This is a little out of context, but I think I can take these words of Jesus to his disciples. When many other voices in their culture of first century Judaism were pointing away from the Messiah. And he told them, take care how you listen. Take care who you listen to. Whoever has to him, more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. The foundation that they are building this culture on is no foundation at all. It will not withstand judgment. 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that our foundation, all of our good works, all the things that we do by means of the Spirit, are built on top of one foundation, and that is the foundation of Jesus Christ. Without that foundation, nothing withstands judgment, because it is only His blood which protects from judgment. So once again, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Pedophilia and grooming is also constantly in the news today, especially this month. June used to be the month of Father's Day. Fathers get one day. And then a cultural phenomenon which takes its aim at fatherhood has taken the rest of the month. And once again, they're targeting children. Drag queen story hour in schools and public libraries. This Pride Month has been particularly targeted at children. The drag your children to pride slogan. You don't have to touch a child to be a pedophile. And the transgenderism movement, once again, takes aim at children. Do you know in Canada, if you tell a boy who thinks he's a girl that he is a boy, you can go to jail. But if you tell a boy that thinks he's a boy that he's a girl, nothing happens to you. You're celebrated. People raise their children specifically to be other genders. They lie to them. They confuse them. They dismember their bodies, and they call it gender-affirming care. To say anything against it, 
can land you in jail, or at least fined, or perhaps even have your children taken away from you. This culture, this government, which is supposed to protect life, protect children, has them in its crosshairs. The divine institution of marriage is shattered in this culture. The divine institution of family is shattered in this culture. And the divine institution of government set up to protect life is destroying life. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call good or call evil good and who call good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, and who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I think we can all resonate with this heartfelt cry in the Psalms. Psalm 74, how long, O God, will the adversary revile? And the enemy spurn your name forever. Why do you withdraw your hand, even your right hand, from within your bosom, destroy them? Yet God is my king from of old, who works deeds of deliverance in the midst of the earth. You have established all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Remember this, O Lord, that the enemy has reviled and a foolish people have spurned your name. Do not deliver the soul of your turtle dove to the wild beast. Do not forget the life of your afflicted forever. Consider the covenant. For the dark places of the land are full of the habitations of violence. Let not the oppressed return dishonored. Let the afflicted and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, and plead your own case. Remember how the foolish man reproaches you all day long. God is right now in the midst of an operation of grace just like Noah was given 120 years before the flood to preach grace by means of an ark. Get on the ark and you will be saved. So we have this opportunity since the day Noah stepped off the boat to offer grace, grace in this world, grace in this culture, to all who would turn to the Savior for salvation and for life more full. But the day of grace does end, and judgment does come. This covenant will last as long as this earth will last, but this earth will not last. And so we see this rainbow once again peeking out through the scriptures at various places. We see God's unapproachable light here in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 27. When Israel is in the, uh, right at the precipice of judgment, 
they are being taken out into Babylon. God's throne room is seen from heaven, and he is shrouded in a rainbow. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upwards something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward, I saw something like fire, and there was a radiance around him, as the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. Judgment had arrived on Israel, but this was not the end of the world. This was not the end of the age. The world would continue. Israel would be restored. Israel would still rule in their land someday, and their Savior, Messiah, would rule over the land as well. The end had not yet come, and Ezekiel was given not just a vision of the rainbow in the clouds, but the rainbow in the heavenly spheres, God's sovereign power over this universe. And we see it again in Revelation chapter 4, where Daniel, or not Daniel, where John is transported up into the heavenlies, and he sees the rainbow around God's throne immediately before that final judgment is thrown out over this age. Revelation 4, verse 2, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. He who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. After this, we see a little book in the hand of the one on the throne, and it is given to the one who is worthy to take the scroll, to open judgment on this earth over Satan's domain, and to take the earth from his power, which he has usurped from man, and to take it himself and to rule over this earth. And as judgment is winding up towards the midpoint of the tribulation, Daniel or John is recommissioned to prophesy. And we see an angel, a strong angel, reflecting that glory of God. He puts his feet on the land and on the waters, representing once again universality. It says, I saw another strong angel coming down out of the heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head. And his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his, in his hand a little book, which was open. A little book which John eats, and it is sweet to the taste, but bitter in his stomach. Just like Ezekiel. And from that point forward, judgment ensues on the earth. The final judgments of this age. And we see that the tribulation period truly does have two purposes, one for Jews and one for Gentiles. For the Jews, it is to turn them towards their Messiah and have them receive him. And they will. But for the Gentile nations, though there is going to be a great revival in that time, the purpose is handing down judgments for failures to keep the Noahic covenant. 
That is the judgment that comes to the Gentiles in the tribulation period. So this mighty angel who comes to announce to John the final judgments on this earth, he placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land, and he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars, and when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there will be no delay any longer. Grace comes to an end. And so sin will be judged. Yes, there is pain and suffering today, and the judgment is coming. Thank goodness it is not here today. So this promise of God, back right before he announced this covenant to Noah, he says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease, but they will cease. When they do, the judgment will come. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. They shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. Just like Noah had a covenant to look forward to on the other side of the flood, we have fellowship with God to look forward to on the other side of the flood. He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of water of life without cost. But for the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so there is a choice for everyone here in the age of grace. Eternal fellowship with God in glory, surrounded by his glory cloud, where we don't even need the sun anymore because the radiance of his face is light to us. Or pain and darkness, gnashing of teeth, there are only two destinations. And the cross stands between both. And so we too look back on our salvation and forward to our salvation. We see that we are not unlike all those who are at this moment perishing. We too were once like them. Ephesians 2 says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. 
in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And that is our culture today. That is the current fight. It has been the fight. And this is what Jesus came to save us from. That sin nature which corrupts us even from our youth, that makes our intentions evil from the beginning. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But, now when you're reading Paul, that but is always wonderfully welcome. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. The work is already done. There is nothing you can do to get to heaven. Jesus has done it all. By faith you received it. And it was given to those who were sinners at the time, who were enemies at the time. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, we were made savable by the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, having been saved, we shall be saved by his life. Not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. We will not undergo the wrath to come because Jesus has borne it already on the cross. So our takeaway God is long-suffering. God has overlooked the sins of this world, Romans 2 says, not wanting any to perish. He has provided a means of salvation and power for the redeemed to overcome sin, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit in us as we depend on the Spirit, as we walk by means of the Spirit. Grace has its scheduled end, just as in the days of Noah. And all who are not found on the ark of salvation, the cross, they will be condemned. In fact, they are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have. And we have hope of the fellowship with God for eternity. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this wonderful promise that you have given us in your sign, the rainbow. We thank you that we can look out on a rainy day and we see your promise. We read your word and we have the perfect interpretation of it. We pray for perseverance in this culture and in this world. We pray that we are able to walk by means of the Spirit, that you empower us towards those good works which you have prepared for us before time. We thank you and we praise you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat>